Republicans refuse to subpoena White House documents for Trump's trial, but vote to include testimony from Vladimir Putin. <laughs> In an interview on CBS, Alan Dershowitz screams that Donald Trump is innocent and did not kill Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman. <laughs> and days after endorsing Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, the New York Times urges its readers to defeat both Donald Trump and Donald Trump. Well, welcome to the Wolfpack Podcast. I believe this is episode 20. Uh, wonderful to have beside me, Paul Block, across from me, Dylan Hydes, and to my right, Kim Upham, although she's to my left politically. Thank you for joining us. Patrick Zahn behind me is our producer of the show. Welcome, gang. Good to be here. Hi. Nice Welcome to... back. You were in Medford. You did stand up. I was up. in Medford. I did stand up in Medford and Coos Bay. And, and... people laughed. You yeah. Um, just, you know, I've said before that I think somehow comedy audiences are barometers of a mood in the country. In both Coos Bay and one of the two shows in Medford, and this is rural Republican country, uh, they were quite uh, happy with my anti-Trump material. So that one show in Medford, they weren't. But um, I think it's progress. There's a little blue bubble in Ashland. Oh, right. Ashland, right. Is that a legal statistic? Can I I put that down as RCP? As I said to one Trumper on the Saturday show in Medford, your vote really doesn't matter. <laughs> we know what we have to have out of Multnomah County to carry the state, so, you know, jaw, you Wow, want. I'm surprised you left there with your jaw intact. No, I did. I've been uh, watching news conferences, Senate, yeah. House news conferences, and as a television producer, one thing I'd like to tell them is get an audience mic. Stick a microphone in front of the people who are asking the questions so we right. can hear the questions. Right. Of course. If you don't do that, repeat the damn question so we know what kind of question you're answering. Right. Put that microphone in Martha McSally's face. We'll talk about that. Two quick things. Hack. Yeah, very quick things before we begin our questions from Paul tonight. I got an email from Evelyn Smith. I like this one. She says, uh, hi, hi, Carl. Let's start calling the homeless encampments Trump towns. <laughs> I love I'm it. sick I love of it. I'm sick of hearing how good the economy is doing. If you remember history, Hoovervilles mm-hmm. were the description of uh, the homeless camps, uh, and they took the name Hoover and put it in. I like Trump towns. So, Evelyn, thank you for that. And we like love to keep it. up with the Washington Post's fact checkers database, which just said yesterday that three years after taking the oath of office, Donald Trump has now made more than sixteen thousand two hundred false or misleading claims. So we're up over 16,000 for this. I think inept- the, I, we just hit 15,000. I think the pace is quickening. Yeah. Do we have a number yet for the uh, uh, legal defense team for Trump at the <laughs> impeachment trial? I think it, I, th- no, I think it will mirror what, what uh, you, know, you know, he's obviously, from the reports I read, and I think they're probably accurate, really pissed that he was impeached for life, as Nancy Pelosi <laughs> said. Yes. And uh, let's get into the let's whole impeachment. Let's get right into it. There's a lot to talk about. Today, all day long, I've been trying to watch uh, uh, impeachment trial stuff. Today, the Senate's debating rules for the trial of Donald Trump. What have we learned so far? Are Mitch McConnell's proposed rules fair? <laughs> Has Mitch McConnell and the word fair ever been used in the same sentence or, or interrogative? I don't know. It's a sham. Um, Republicans are continuing in the Senate to do exactly what Republicans in the House did and show that they're not interested in a, a, a fair trial as they were not interested in a fair impeachment hearing um, in the House. And, you know, if you watch the news today and this will come, this is Tuesday, uh, you may be listening to us on, on, on Wednesday or Thursday or later in the week. 
week. But uh, there were two um, resolution, or two amendments to the the rules resolutions offered today. Republicans scotched both of them; they, they tabled both of them. One was uh, for allowing the White House to, uh, documents to be subpoenaed for the trial. This is evidence. All fifty-three Republicans voted in favor to table it, kill it. Then. Schumer offered another amendment, which was for the State Department's documents relevant to this trial to be subpoenaed. And again, by a party line vote, Republicans said no. Um, what I love, and I'll open it up after this, but to that, David Frum tweeted, quote, if you subpoena documents, you might get them. If you get documents, you might read them. If you read documents, you might learn things. If you learn things, you might have to do something. I think that was the perfect response to Republicans who don't want any evidence in the trial or they want no evidence that's damning of Trump. And they keep whining that, oh, well, the House should have done the evidence in the impeachment. The point is the president, President Trump, has thwarted both the House and now Republicans have thwarted this process in the Senate by not allowing testimony, by not allowing documents. I think the best thing that I heard all week was I heard somebody say about the Senate Republicans that they've never seen anybody work so hard to keep jobs they don't want to do. Right. Wow. That's a, that's a Speaking of David Frum, just in case anybody in our audience doesn't know, David Frum is a longtime conservative Republican. Mm -hmm. He is not a liberal hack like CNN reporters are. I think it's very interesting that they're starting yep. every day at one o'clock, which to me means that they're going to be locked down in caucus in the morning and getting, you know, making sure that nobody steps right. out of line. To, to, to just put a punctuation point on what I said about Martha McSally, for those who didn't know, and I cite this as an example of avoiding questions about evidence. Republicans don't want to answer questions about evidence. Martha McSally, who's the appointed senator, U.S. Senator from Arizona, and uh, she was asked by CNN reporter Manu Rahu a few days ago, and this was his question. It was a legitimate question. Senator McSally, should the Senate con consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? He was referring, of course, uh, to the GAO report, which damned Trump. He was referring to Lev Parnas's testimony that wasn't included in the House impeachment votes. Her response was, quote, Manu, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're a liberal hack. Of course, she did this to throw in with Trump and to raise money from right-wingers in Arizona. And the second thing, the point that's lost here, is she never answered the question. Right. And she raised money from right-wingers in Arizona, but... Mark Kelly raised more than she did <laughs> after she made that comment. And Megan, Megan McCain this week said on The View, which I thought was interesting, that she reminded the audience that McSally never won that seat. That she hadn't right, she was appointed it yet. Right. right. In fact, she lost uh, in, in 2018, and then she was appointed after um, the seat that had been uh, John McCain's seat. Uh, and, of course, Kristen Sinema won. Right. Kristen Sinema won. So, uh, you know, again, the point is this is an example of how Republicans are protecting Trump. They're not only protecting him, they're throwing in with him. They're they're doing the liberal hack thing. The media is a circus. The media can't be trusted. The media is the enemy of the republic and all of that. And that's an example of what's going on here. In the Nixon trial, it was the Republican lawyers on the Judiciary Committee that turned first because they saw the evidence and they couldn't deny it. Somehow. I would hate to be a Republican sitting in the Senate today watching 
the proceedings, watching the evidence coming down in front of me and have to vote. No, I don't want to have a witness to follow up. They have to be squirming unless they're just dishonest creeps at heart. Right. Um, can, can I go on a, a rant about this? Carl's do. had a couple of rants. I have a rant here, which is that couple. we know. It's only fair. You need, Thank you. you I'm get gonna, your turn. I'm going to take my opportunity. Let me just, just, let, 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 let me just say you. that if you were to equal all my rants on this podcast, <laughs> you would be talking until Saturday. But go ahead. I wish I could, we'll back, it. No, I wish I could back it up with the Volga Boatman, but go ahead. <laughs> we know what this is about, right? This I want every Democratic leader saying this every five minutes. We've said it on the show, which is that if Trump was a Democrat, Right. If he had been a Democrat, which he has been most of his life, if he had remained a Democrat and was elected, these guys would have had him impeached before lunch, as he should have been. But he's not a Democrat. He's a Republican. And we know um, that um, if you're if you're Republican, you get special rights. Um, I mean, I'm just imagine again if he's a Democrat. Oh, you can't get documents from the from the White House. Oh, here's Matt Gates breaking into the White House to get those records. Oh, we can't get anybody here to be a witness because they don't want to show up. Jim Jordan would be dragging the Secretary of State and the NSA director by their hair into the Senate wall to get them to speak. And now they're sitting on their hands doing absolutely nothing. Um, if you are a Republican in this country and you hold elected office, you get a free pass to be whatever you want: a liar, a thief. A sexual predator, anything passes because they have one rule. Their prime directive is this: if it helps the Republican Party, it's good. These guys are traitors. They haven't, they have not joined another country, but they have joined an organization whose uh, goal is the antithesis of what America stands for, and they will harm and damage this country to any extent they need to, so long as they can keep to keep their clutches on on power. That's all these guys are. They're just doing whatever they can to hold power, and they will hurt whoever they need to to make it happen. Those of us who are left with a conscience, with dignity, with any patriotism, you stand up and defeat these guys. I want that as an ad. The, the, I want that as an ad. The question was, are Very Mitch well McConnell's said. proposed rules fair? <laughs> no, they are not fair and they're not designed to be fair, just like it wasn't fair to refuse to give a hearing to Merrick Garland that was supposed to be sitting on the Supreme Court. Moscow Mitch isn't about fairness. He's about taking his powers to the limit, raw, ugly power, and doing whatever the hell he wants to do. So long as he can keep his caucus in line, he's more of a ruthless dictator than Trump is. So now this week, the the positioning of the White House is that if Bolton is required to testify, they want him to testify behind closed doors so that no one can see the testimony. They want to classify for security purposes. Wait, in the basement? Yes. Oh, not the basement. No, Republicans aren't allowed in the basement. Wait a minute. Does that mean Democrats are going to march down there like Republicans did? <laughs> right. Hey, so I want to – and I agree 100 percent with what Dylan said, everything you said, Paul, everything that Kim said. I want to go back and tell you what Mitch McConnell's rules – if you haven't been following the news, his original rules – were to give each side 24 hours over the course of two days to make opening arguments and said the House's evidence would not be admitted without a vote. Then today, right before, in secret, it wasn't announced, but he made a little bit of a tweak, which indicates to me that he had some pushbacks, maybe from some moderates. For sure. He changed the resolution that was introduced to say that gives each side three days to make their 24 hours of arguments and says evidence will be admitted automatically unless there's a motion from the president's team to throw out the evidence. Of course, there'll be a motion from the president's defense team to throw it out. And probably the, um, the, uh, the Senate Republicans will back that up. 
Also, we learned today that at least two Republican senators indicated they are likely to support calling witnesses later in the trial, Susan Collins and Mitt Romney. Let me go back to those original rules that Mitch McConnell came up with. They, they, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, call, Senate called it a nas- national disgrace. Basically, what he said McConnell is trying to do, which is true, is rush this thing up, put it in the late night hours as much as possible, and get as little evidence, which you would need in a trial, as possible. I love that Doug Jones, remember he's one of the more conservative members of the Democratic caucus, he and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. We don't know how they're going to come out on this trial. But he, this morning, put out a video and said McConnell's proposal was like something from, quote, the warden in Shawshank Redemption. He accused McConnell of trying to hide and shield information by making it difficult to call witnesses and trying to squeeze the trial in a short period, quote, in the wee hours, unquote. Quote. So I think there was a kind of pushback on McConnell's uh, original rules, maybe from public opinion, maybe from the, the two more moderate Democrats, maybe from people inside the Republican caucus, that he changed them slightly. And I think that needs uh, – that should be mentioned here. Um, go ahead, Don. Yeah, a couple points. I would take issue with your description of moderate Republicans. I would say there are zero moderate Republicans in the United States Senate. There are only those who are politically vulnerable. And so those are the ones who are targeting. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> McConnell, as you talked about, is doing as little as possible. This thing would have been a 15-minute acquittal if right. he was allowed to do it. So basically these four to eight politically vulnerable Republicans are the ones that are calling the shots, and they will determine how much of a trial we actually get. What breaks my heart about McConnell is that, you know, I worked in the Senate very briefly. I'm a student of history. I have great respect for what the Senate is. It's a special institution. And for someone like him, who's been there for so long, probably knows more about the Senate than anybody else, for him to just shit all over what the United States Senate has stood for for right. 200 years right. and what it can do. Um, it just, it's, that should it's, be a it's commercial disgusting. in Kentucky. And the United States judiciary and the United States period. Right. And, and in a recent poll, for uh, Mitch McConnell is no longer the least popular United States senator in their home state. Did you Susan see? Collins. Number one is now Susan Collins. So yeah, well-deserved like Senator that. Collins. She's got a target on her back. So uh, when she, you mentioned polls, I just want to point out, for those who didn't see it, the newest CNN poll out the other day, yesterday, yes, I believe, 51% of Americans say the Senate should convict Donald Trump and remove him from office. If we're going into an election... And the economy, all these issues. If you have more than half the American public <laughs> saying this guy should be removed now, now, of course, these people have to get out and vote. There's a lot of things that need to happen before the November election. But that would that would make me unsettled if I were in the White House. Only 45 percent said the Senate should vote against conviction and removal. So, you know, they're six points away from being the majority. And here's a key. 69% in the CNN poll said the Senate trial should feature testimony from new witnesses who did not testify in the House impeachment inquiry. And Nearly that, 70%. And of that number, a plurality of Republicans want witnesses. 48% right. versus 44% do Republicans want witnesses there. So remember, these people in the Senate, they're not representing their constituencies, no. their states. They're representing no. Donald Trump. No. Paul said this to me before we began is that if I were doing communicating for the Democrats or for the American people, I would keep insisting and putting it out there that Republicans don't want witnesses in a trial. They right. don't want evidence in a trial. That's something 
almost all Americans understand. Uh, people know the trial process, at least from watching trials. Uh, many people have been involved in trials. How can we have a true uh, how can we have true justice done if people preclude evidence and witnesses? That's a very basic thing. Mm -hmm. We ought to be hammering home, as we're doing on this podcast, that this is exactly what Republicans are doing. Mm -hmm. Heard on TV this morning. Believe it or not, I watch TV. You can no more have a trial without evidence than you can swim without water. Right. I mean, and, what is a trial? It's evidence. And people hear the evidence. They think about it. And then they make a decision. Later on, a judge uh, uh, says guilty, innocent, or sentence. I mean, it's, that's what a trial is. When, as Kim would probably know, in law, there's something called spoliation of evidence, where if somebody has evidence to a critical issue and destroys that evidence or allows it to be destroyed, the court, you can file a motion to have the court determine that that evidence would have been harmful to that person's case. I think the American people should make a similar determination here, that if somebody is not turning over evidence, telling their subordinates not to testify, and those who they can't control, they're intimidating not to testify, like the ambassador uh, of Ukraine. Um, we should be able to extrapolate from that the pretty obvious conclusion that they're as guilty as hell. I think that's happening. I think America is, is slowly spoliating. Yep. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, they're doing it. But Wouldn't you love to, for that to result in a wipeout of the GOP this fall? It yes. very well may. If the, if the Democrats keep hitting that drum, Keep riding that horse. Every Saturday morning, take a half an hour of network television. Go for it every every week. I want to add that what the Democrats did brilliantly after Mitch McConnell the other day laid out his rules, okay, about, you know, just going to be two days. We're going to rush it through, put it late at night. They immediately called McConnell on the fact that his rationale for not including letting the Senate vote on witnesses after the case was the Clinton precedent, mm -hmm. okay? Well, uh, Adam Schiff, brilliantly today, if you saw him on Absolutely TV, brilliant he was brilliant today. He said what Chuck Schumer said yesterday. If you're going to follow the, the Clinton precedent, we need the time, we need the witnesses, and we need the evidence. As Adam Schiff said brilliantly today, uh, in the Clinton uh, case of impeachment, all witnesses were on the record before the Senate trial. All documents were turned over by the Clinton administration before the Senate trial. So how can you say, if you're going to follow Mitch McConnell, the Clinton impeachment precedent, that we shouldn't have documents, we shouldn't have witnesses? This is a clear hypocritical stance well, and, by Mitch McConnell. And speaking of hypocrisy uh, and chutzpah, uh, today the Republicans argued, their attorneys argued that Democrats shouldn't be able to proceed because they weren't ready. And it's right. like, to the extent we're not ready, it's because you guys are hiding exactly everything. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, well, you should have given us more from the House. It wasn't the Democrats who didn't give more. It was the White House who blocked it. It was mm -hmm. the defense team for Trump that blocked it. And I want to go back to before today when they're discussing and debating the rules. Before this, the House managers and Trump's defense team laid out their case. Trump's legal team claims that no president can be removed for abuse of power. I love the House manager's response to that. It's two short paragraphs. I'll read it. President Trump maintains that the Senate cannot remove him even if the House proves every claim in the articles of impeachment. That is a chilling assertion. It is also dead wrong. The framers deliberately drafted a constitution that allows the Senate to remove presidents who, like President Trump, 
abuse their power to cheat in elections, betray our national security, and ignore checks and balances. And when Alan Dershowitz, who has been now added to Trump's defense team, was called on what he said in 1998, August 24th, about... I'll read you what he said. He certainly doesn't have to be a crime if you have somebody who completely corrupts the office of the president, who abuses trust and who poses great danger to our liberty. Fast forward to now when Alan Dershowitz says, oh, it has to be a crime. This does not comport with what he said in 98. And he won't admit he's wrong. What he's saying was, well, I was more correct now. <laughs> I'm correct both times, but now I'm more correct. Never right. mind the fact that these are two diametrically opposed statements that right. could not possibly both be Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I wonder, I, 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 somehow in the back of my brain keeps echoing, Jeffrey Epstein has something to do with this. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's something I do want to say is I, I've, been, I've been annoyed that people have said that Dershowitz is a bad guy because he's represented OJ and, and uh, Epstein. Attorneys, everyone has a right to an attorney. I would never disparage an attorney for taking an unpopular client on. In fact, those are some of the most noble attorneys who stand up and take the most. Clarence Darrow, for one. Exactly. I, I agree right? very much. So I don't fault Dershowitz for taking on bad people no, as clients. I, wasn't I fault him of, for being a shameless liar. How about being a good friend and on the jet with Jeffrey That's Epstein. different. That's, That's different. all I was talking yes, about, not okay. being his lawyer. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think that Dershowitz uh, ultimately is going to uh, uh, hurt and Ken Starr, are you kidding me? Ken Starr <laughs> These guys are is a flip-flopper. He says he's not part of the uh, Trump team. He says he's just coming on as a consultant for the Constitution. And someone yesterday said, I didn't know the Constitution hired consultants. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's great. You know, what you said is correct. Um, Dershowitz can join any legal defense team. That's true. But Dershowitz doesn't have to go on Fox like he's done repeatedly over the last year and a half and twist what he said before, um, make comments that seem to be at great odds with the majority of legal scholars in this country to defend Donald mm -hmm. Trump. I mean, he's made a cottage industry out of going on Fox like Tulsi Gabbard and becoming a little Trump supporter. His and then he goes on to whine that the people of Martha's Vineyards don't want to socialize with him. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> or was it the Hamptons? I, I forget. Dershowitz's job right now is to give Trump's team, give Trump, the senators, the Republican senators cover. His job is to have the Republican senators have someone That's to exactly point right. to That's and exactly say, right. he says that you got to have a real crime. I believe Dershowitz, right. he's a brilliant constitutional lawyer. Right. And this gives them an out, but he is not correct about this. No, he's not. The, the, the framers, come on, impeachment and removal for office. It doesn't have to be a crime. Uh, again, you're listening to The Wolfpack. I'm Carl Wolfson, along with Dylan Hydes, Kim Up, and Paul Block. Our producer is Patrick Zahn. Uh, Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes, place you can listen to us and rate us. And please get the word out. We've got uh, a chance again this year, as we do every two years, to vote in federal elections. And it needs to be a Democratic landslide. Paul, what's the next question? Uh, next question, believe it or not, is about Democrats. Uh, uh, will the New York Times endorsement of Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar have any effect on Iowa and New Hampshire voters? Kim? All in favor say aye. Kim? Aye. <laughs> I thought this approach was really interesting. Uh, basically, the New York Times is saying that they don't want to pick a lane. They're not going to favor the... Uh, 
traditional lane, if you will, traditional Democrats versus the progressive Democrats. And so they've named one of each. And um, I think this goes to electability and whether a woman can win the presidency. I admire them for this choice. And um, I have to say for myself personally, I will admit Kamala Harris was my candidate and I don't have a strong, passionate second choice at this point. But this is causing me to give a second look to uh, Senator Klobuchar. I love her. I, you know, I want to address the first the criticism that I've been hearing about the dual endorsements and that they're stupid. The New York Times should have picked one. and They weaken their influence by blah, blah, blah. The, I noticed these are usually from older um and analysts, and the kind of, and this is old-fashioned last election type thing. I think this election is different in two important ways, which supports what they did here. First, there's just so many candidates. There are still 12 Democrats running for president. It's not just a Bernie versus Hillary race. And two, um, we've really had two distinct, uh, equally sized tiers come out of this race: the progressive tier with Bernie and Elizabeth, and the other tier with everybody else. By making two endorsements, the time essentially the Times essentially doubled the leverage they had because if it had only endorsed Warren. The moderates would have ignored the endorsement. If they'd only endorsed Klobuchar, then the progressives would have ignored it. This way, by making two endorsements, they hold sway with every stripe of Democratic voter. You know, um, clever observation. I uh, I read a nation, the Nation editorial slamming this, um, and wasn't done by an older person. But they were just miffed that, that Bernie didn't get okay, well, the endorsement. Different. Right. I, I my, the upshot for this to the question. I think it helps Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar the most because. A lot of people don't know much about right. her. My personal opinion, and I, I like Amy Klobuchar, it's not going to be enough for her to win in New Hampshire or Iowa. And she's got to do one yet. or two there yeah, to new- have any chance. Um, I, I think Elizabeth Warren is, you know, Warren is ballyhooted. Good for her. Uh, Klobuchar is ballyhooted. I don't, I think the result of this editorial is going to be people whose candidate didn't get endorsed are going to dismiss it. Those, they're the in their wine right, cave. Right, right. Others, W-H-I-N-E, wine <laughs> Thank cave. you. That's great. I love the wine. W-H-I-N-E cave. And those who did get endorsed, I don't think it's going to make that much difference. I think what we're seeing, though, and both Dylan and Kim refer to this, is there's a stark division in the Democratic Party. In 2016, it was obvious with Hillary, people called her, you know, centrist or center left and Bernie left. Um, but but that's look, look that's the division. What I said is what they said. And th- we still see this division today. I mentioned last week that adding up all the delegates and all the poll numbers, it's essentially you know Hillary uh, versus Bernie again with just different sets of candidates. The numbers come out the same. The Democratic Party, through its own processes, is going to have to deal with this center-left, left-split at some time. The fact that the New York Times did this shows you that this split is real. It's not going away anytime soon. Okay. I I, couldn't say about that. I think the Times endorsement is also powerful because it does something else. It, it not only chose two people, but it chose two women. Right. That's a not-so-subtle message to Democrats. Oh, yes. Hey, let's get a woman out there. That's a so good point. It, it also accomplished that. Secondly, I think this is good, this could have a difference for exactly what Kim pointed out, is that there's a lot of people like her and me whose first choice is either out or never got into the race. And so it may not take much to push us when one, one way or the other. There was a I saw an MSNBC correspondent who was on the ground for two weeks in, in Iowa. He came back and they asked him, hey – uh, uh, give us a prediction who's going to win that. And he said, I am less sure now than I was two weeks ago before I went to right. Iowa because everybody is like, as he's just me and Kim, everyone's saying, I'm for candidate X, but I could also go for candidate Y. Right. It's fluid. It's fluid. And the last thing I want to say is, 
I agree with what you're saying. There is this this split, and it is getting nasty. I saw Kim comment on social media today about this. I want Obama to come up and speak up and just say, hey, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, get your people to shut up. Like, let's respect each other. Um, we need more leadership from the candidates, and I think Obama could do it important role and really shame these people into behaving better. It doesn't take much, Hillary's recent interview, even for me, yes. to put a post up, and we're back. But we're back where we've always been is this center-left, left split. Paul, can, I want can, you to— We can do this civilly, though. We don't have to yell at each other. That's true. Well, I, you know, I, I just want to say that uh, uh, we're talking left or center-left, but I want to say that any, any Democrat that gets nominated will be the most progressive person in in history, or at least since F, FDR. We're dealing with policy differences by increments. So how do we want to get to universal health care? They all want to get— uh, better infrastructure. They all want to get us out of war. I mean, you know, th th we're dealing with uh, people who want to save uh, Social Security and Medicare and even expand it. You know, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not like our, the, the moderates of the Democratic Party are right wingers. They're progressives. It's just a matter of the degree yeah, of progressiveness. I, I agree. There's incrementalism and what you can get done. Um, there are some policy differences, but I think our goals are the same as a party. And if we are to maintain the Democratic Party as a unit and not split off, which is a, a distinct possibility into a whole different left-wing party and a whole different center-left party, if that is not to happen, we're going to understand – we've got to un understand that we unify around goals – and we can argue about the processes. And, and if states are more liberal than others, Oregon's going to have a more liberal delegation than Virginia. That's just the truth, or, the, or North Carolina is the truth of the matter. I want to bring up one other thing. And I, I, oh, Kim, go ahead. The country has been moving to the right for a very long time. And so what looks like liberal or looks like center is, yeah, is shifted. Yeah, although the number of people who consider themselves liberal, and Gallup does this every year, has increased a, a bit more, more rapidly lately. It's still only like 26 percent, 35 percent moderate, 35 percent uh, conservative. But there's no question that as the country becomes more diverse and more voices, not only women's voices, but minority voices are entered in, we are shifting a little bit, uh, which is good. I want to come back to something. I, I guess Dylan and I have argued this a little bit. Um, Dylan, I'll, I'll let you say, but about a vice presidential pick, you say when in history has a vice president made a difference on a ticket? I will argue that made a difference in 1960, I don't think Kennedy would have won that election with Lyndon, without Lyndon Johnson on the ticket. He certainly would have won, would not have won Texas. Uh, but that being said, usually if you have to rely on a vice presidential candidate to win, um, that's not a strong nominee. But we're in a position now because of the split we're all talking about. If Biden gets a nomination or if Warren gets a nomination, I would hope that Biden would pick a very progressive uh, candidate for vice president and, and Warren would pick someone who, who, who is maybe a little bit from the center left. I think because of the schism in the Democratic Party now and the need to run as a unity, a unified party, that the vice presidential selection would be more important this year. I'm kind of a, been interested in the last couple of weeks about an Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro ticket. I've been very interested for months in a Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams ticket. We have to do something to bring this party together so that the turnout is an avalanche, which destroys Republicans in November. It, and we have to use every tool. And maybe the vice presidential election is one of those key tools. I don't know. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see a, a selection from Florida. You know, I mean, one of these states that every year we lose by less than one percent. A VP mm-hmm. pick could be instead of picking right. ones from Connecticut and you know or Ohio. Well, at least Hillary picked one from Virginia. I'd, I'd give credit for that pick. Is Stacey Abrams close enough to Florida? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, the Times was not very flattering to Biden in their uh, editorial. They said that. He prefers to restore the status quo with an agenda that tinkers at the edges and will not sufficiently advance the country in the board's view. And the fact that he's 77, they wanted him to pass the torch. On the other end of the age scale, they said that Buttigieg had a bright political future and we look forward to him working his way up. Then somebody might respond to them that what we need now is not a a revolution in the other direction from Trump, but some sort of return to normalcy, the end of chaos. Well, they, and they said that they they went after Bernie and said we're not endorsing Bernie because we don't want to replace one overpromising, you know, uncompromising person with another overpromising. Well, that's true. They compared him to Trump, right? That's true, and not like I haven't done that a million times on Facebook. I don't know if anyone saw the elevator moment though, and I have I to did. tell you, <laughs> you know, coming down from the interview with the New York Times editorial board, I don't know if you've seen it. Joe Biden, there was an African-American woman who was the elevator operator, and she just told Joe Biden how much she loved him. He had a selfie. It was all captured by people chronicling, for the New York Times, chronicling the whole endorsement process. I don't know that that didn't do more than the actual editorial itself. That's great And uh, it went crazy viral. And I think ultimately the decision may not even be on policy. I think the decision is going to be on who the people like. Yes. Absolutely, Paul. Who they're comfortable with. And who who gets some nice news bites, who who, who makes news, who pops a little bit so they can talk about him, him or her. Uh, and then, and then, vice president. I think it's critical. Uh, from the beginning, I've oh, I've I've favored a person, uh, a white male person, who to to be president, uh, uh, a particular person. I just don't want to talk about it. Uh, but I always thought that his primary, uh, his vice president should be Kamala Harris or Stacey Abrams. I think that the black people have to be represented in this government and women have to be represented. If, if Mayor Pease nominated, he'd pick someone younger than himself, so he looks older. <laughs> um, you know, I want to say this on a personal note. This is our 20th podcast. Right. Um, the only podcast that I've done, which I've regretted, was when we had the Elizabeth Warren debate. And I I was uh, – and I apologize for it. I think I did on there the next episode. Uh, I was a little demeaning to Dylan and to others who, who uh, supported Elizabeth more, more than I do. I was very upset about her full embrace of single payer because I believe that was not going to play well with voters in the seven key – key states that we need, the swing states that we need. I think she's backed off that. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of people. I think she's backed off that a lot. I don't want to leave you with an impression that that I would not support Elizabeth Warren. I would not support Bernie Sanders. I've said I, I don't particularly care for Bernie, um, but I would support him, as I said on this. But I going forward here, let's get this idea out of our heads that that a nominee is going to destroy us. What we have to have in our heads is that Elizabeth Warren and, and, and again, uh, Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren, whomever, is the team that we can rally around to win. The same with Joe Biden and whoever, whomever he picks. We have to get to this point where the schism, the personal animosity, all that extra stuff is directed at Trump 
and these Republicans who are unconscionable. Agreed, because the squabbling is only helping him. Right. The squabbling that we're seeing this week right now. I think the squabbling put Trump in office the last time. And I, I completely agree with what you just said, Carl. Kim, I agree with what you said. Um, I think that... But not me. It's important to point out that when people... Yeah, you are, agree with what Paul said. <laughs> Carl, that he only wants white males from... <laughs> Carl, you're a what, good what, man. What, what, you're all good men. What, what Paul was saying is he, he supports someone. He doesn't want to say who it is because he wants to weigh the scales. He but it's a white he male. He only vote for okay. white males that are old. That's right. Age was, of 77. I was going to point out that if somebody criticizes... Uh, Warren or Sanders or Buttigieg, it's usually not on the issues. It's almost always on style. So that Carl is exactly right. When we get our nominee, you can almost guarantee it's going to be somebody who agrees with 90% of what you like. So get behind the 90% you like and oppose the person who supports Just stop kneecapping the other one. What drives, though, what drives – the schism. What drives that personal animosity is people are dug into a very liberal position or a very center left position, plus the personalities, Bernie and Hillary. We have to bridge that divide, yes. both on policy and on emotional things that may become out of that policy divide. Speaking of women. Yes. Last week, Virginia became the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Some say the deadline for ratification has passed, and three states have filed suit to block it. Who will win this legal fight? Will the ERA become a constitutional amendment? Well, I just want to say that this year is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. The United States Constitution, which guaranteed women the right to vote. It was officially adopted on August 26, 1920. The reason we're discussing ERA now, just as a quick backgrounder, is that Congress passed this constitutional amendment. Remember, it has to have two-thirds vote in the House and the Senate. It got both in 1972. The amendment states simply that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, unquote. Now, we had a, a, the, the original deadline for ratification, which was in the preamble to this, was 1982. It gave them 10 years. They didn't get the requisite states in that amount of time. Then the deadline was extended. Uh, and they didn't get it within that time. But in recently, in 2017, Nevada ratified the ERA. Illinois did it in 2018. And now Virginia gives us the 38 we need. And five but, states have rescinded it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But the question is, um, does the what, what opponents are saying is this is DOA. In fact, Trump's Justice Department on January 8th came out with the Office of Legal Counsel's non-binding opinion. Hey, the time was expired. It doesn't matter how many states ratify it now. It's dead on arrival. There are others who say because the time period was in the preamble, not in the actual text of the amendment, that this does mean that ERA should be law now. There are a couple Supreme Court cases that define this, but I think it's going to be ending up in the courts. And I would not uh, – with this Supreme Court, if it goes that far, I think they're going to say Congress decides. And if Congress decides that there was a time limit and then – is it the Republican Senate? Is it the, you know, what will Congress say? Anyone want to weigh in on this? Sure. Um, I think it's a, I think if I'm the judge, I'd probably rule that it hasn't, it's not a valid um, amendment to the Constitution for, I think, two reasons. I think that the preamble did say you have 
uh, seven years, extended to 10 years to get it. Um, it took 40 years to get it, uh, over 40 years to get it. I think the preamble is going to be is going to be tied to the law unless the court rules that Congress didn't have the right to put a time limit on there, which is quite a stretch. I don't think they won't do that. Yeah, they're not going to do that. And also, you need three quarters of the states to ratify it. How can we in good faith say there's 30, there's 33 states, there's 38 minus the five that have since rescinded that ratification? Yeah, but th- that's up for constitutional that's all, debate, yeah, too, right. because right. The, the, the only court ruling on that was in 1982, and it did. It was a lower court. District court in Idaho didn't go to the Supreme okay. Court. Well, I'm just, if, if I make those arguments, I want to be on the side of the, the Trump administration. Those are stronger arguments. There's a couple of things that are, are not even necessarily legal that people should think about that didn't exist in 19, when was it, 72 or 72, 72 when it was first passed. Uh, many, other things have come up. Since it was passed, many companies and organizations have started on their own to improve things for women, hmm. giving women things like affirmative action, other benefits to level the playing field. Things that recognize the differences between women and men, parenting, socialization, etc. Government requiring that women's companies be utilized as contractors. Family-friendly policies. Now, if this and, and the second, I, I'll stop there if you'd like. Well, and I, so I we don't need it. Is that I'm saying that it might hurt. Okay, it might give people cover I to back really out of that back stuff. Back against those arguments because number one, women make eighty-two cents on the dollar for for what what a man makes for the and same job. And in 1972, they were making are 50. still the kings of the corporate boardrooms. And remember, the laws that you may cite, and I love progressive laws, but they can be undone. That's the whole point: is that federal and local laws that provide protections for women can be undone. We're witnessing the undoing well, since, of laws by this administration. Since 1972, we need it in the that 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 81 cents has gotten there from 57 cents. So things have improved by 24 cents. Right. Uh, well, that's what they'll say. The but second, that the second, take away the, the second, the second negative. Well, they have to rewrite the amendment because the second negative is it talks about equality of sex, not equality of gender. Right. And that's a big difference in 2020. It's a lot different than it was. I haven't even thought about non-binary. The the, the problem we face right now is this. Um, Dylan's probably right on the arguments, although they're constitutional scholars who say, you know, the the, 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 the time doesn't count. Okay, but I agree with Dylan that if if it does go to the Supreme Court, they're likely going to punt and say it's Congress and Congress might say the date and timeline is. Here's the deal. Right now, I believe in the United States of America, you probably have 38 states who would ratify a new ERA, okay, that included gender equality and all that. I think there are enough. Look at Virginia. Virginia ratified this because Democrats took over the uh, the, the state legislature, including a lot more women. Years. That's right. So I think we've got that. I think we got three quarters of the state. The problem is, can we get two thirds out of the House and two thirds out of the Senate, mm-hmm. which is nearly impossible? But it's not. It, it is doable if we put enough pressure on Republicans, especially in the Senate, but they are so hardened now into Trumpism, these Republicans. Can we even get two-thirds in the House or Senate for a new ERA? That's the way to do it, is to have a new ERA, get it somehow out of the House and the Senate, and I think the states will ratify it. But the problem is getting it out of the Congress. I don't think the states would ratify it. Here are the list of 12, the 12 states that haven't yet approved it. Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arizona, and Utah. I don't see a lot of fertile ground there for ERA. Neither do I. And the five states that have backed out, not much better. Kentucky, Idaho, Nebraska, Tennessee, and South Dakota. Well, I don't know. uh, Well, look, 
if it can happen in Virginia, it can happen in those Virginia's other states. Virginia is a legitimately blue state. I'm glad now. you mentioned those 12 states because you know what I did today when I read those? I read those 12 states. I'm going to read them again. These are the 12 states that have not yet ratified the ERA. They kill everything. Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah. I went back today and looked at the 19th Amendment because, as I said this year, we celebrate the, the centenary of the centennial of the 19th Amendment. This is giving the right for women to vote. It became law after back then it was 36 states because we didn't have Alaska and Hawaii. This is 1920. Here are the last seven states to ratify the 19th Amendment. And you can ratify it after it becomes law. The legislature says, oh, okay. See if these sound familiar. Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Mississippi. We're talking 100 years ago. Right. It's the same damn states. And Mississippi didn't ratify women's right to vote till 1984. Is there any chance those states could secede? <laughs> I lived in Mississippi for I lived in Mississippi for four and a half. You months. did. I did for, for doing what? Keesler Air Force Base. Oh, okay. So I, I want to say one more point about this, and I, I kind of want to back up what Paul was saying here. Is that I don't know if this ERA matters when we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which bans the discrimination of gender or equal I, protection under the 14th Right, and Amendment. I'm I'm just saying. What do people, people who support the ERA, what do they think the ERA is going to get them that the Civil Rights Act didn't get them? Would it prevent Trump from grabbing people's privates? No. <laughs> oh, okay. It might encourage yeah. it. <laughs> well, look, I, you know, the best thing about this argument, I, uh, and, uh, you know, it's frustrating. You know, you mentioned 12 states that haven't ratified it. I mentioned, you know, seven of those 12, you know, took forever to allow women to write the, uh, allow women to vote in federal elections by their own, you know, judgment. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult to do it again. But but I think the ERA is important because it makes a strong statement. It puts it in the Constitution so that local or federal laws, which become capricious depending on administrations and states that come and go, I think it is important. And I think the battle has been energized by what Virginia did. And uh, it's just that, unfortunately now, the political dynamics of the United States being divided so – really makes this yeah. impossible for the foreseeable future. And I must say, Mississippi has two-inch flying cockroaches. <laughs> you know, and in researching this, I... <laughs> Dude, Te they really... Texas has some of and those. One, I used is, to one is the governor and one is the lieutenant governor. I used, to have to, I used to have to get into the phone booth as they were swarming in my direction. <laughs> you know, for those who are following this in the 70s and 80s, you probably remember a woman named Phyllis Shafley. Who I do. Oh, yeah, of course. What a sweetie. I, in, in researching <laughs> this for this piece, I came across pictures of women marching behind her with these signs and pickets that said, fight the ERA. And I'm just thinking to myself, is there a more pathetic <laughs> person in history than that person? I mean, I'm, I, it's like, like fighting a person, an African-American in 1964 saying, fight the Civil Rights Act. It's just like, what is wrong with these people? It's yeah. all the black people sitting behind Trump going, make America great again. You, you know, uh -huh. you'll love this, Dylan. Uh, the, the, you know, Phyllis Schlafly was effective in her day, rallying mm -hmm. yeah. conservative, conservative women to be anti-women. Uh, but the funniest, she was, you know, she's comical in another sense. You'll love this. My favorite thing that Phyllis Schlafly proposed is that Major League Baseball should only allow players who were born in the United States. She actually <laughs> proposed that. Oh she didn't want uh, players from Panama or Venezuela or Cuba no, or Cuba. anything. 
Cuba, no. You know, some of this discussion came out again in 2016 after Hillary Clinton was defeated. And the question was, why didn't women support Hillary Clinton? And some of the articles and social science research that was offered suggested that they identified with their white working class husbands, as we know. But the second reason is that some women were are receiving some social benefits from um being put on a pedestal as women who aren't equal to men. Uh, so there's course. some protectionism. I thought it was very interesting. Mm. It and, is interesting. Let's just say that those pedestals are alive and well in the Deep South. Yes, and it, yeah. it's probably true. Um, you know? So um, let's move on now to um, one of the fun well, you know, I think all this is fun because I'm into this debate. Do you think it's fun? You're Boy, here. I've never had a better time. I, raise your hand, Patrick, if you think Beats it's fun. Beats the I shit out of a Jerry a, Seinfeld uh, concert. Yeah, there you go. Um, wow. Um, some things you may not know. And you know what? My thing, after I came up with it today or uh, looked at it, I think maybe someone has already done this here. I don't remember. If I have, stop me and I'll do another one. Go ahead. Who wants to start? Kim? I, I want to know if you'll indulge me in two today because I have course. two that are specific to this particular day. Oh, wow. It's, uh, you know. Well, we might have to be done that. Uh, so the first thing is, <laughs> but you know, Paul hasn't gotten a chance to talk this particular podcast very much, so we should give you your five. I haven't mentioned a penis once. Oh, God. There it goes. I'm out. Um, all right. So my first thing is that the census is underway. Today was the kickoff day. We're recording this on the 21st. And it may seem early because most of the state gets underway. Uh, most of the states get underway in March. However, in Tosuk, Tosuk Bay, Alaska, it's the first city to kick off the census in a village on Nelson Island. And the reason is because it's actually easier to get get to people and to record their census data before the thaw sets in. I see. Mm-hmm. That, you know, um, ah. that's interesting. And by the way, a little trivia here, the only state capital you cannot drive to is Juneau, Alaska. Wow. So they each time uh, for the census, they pick a village or town to start in and they have a kickoff ceremony. So they did that nice. today in Alaska. And how those three people do. Yeah. <laughs> the town has 600 people. Oh, really? So come on, give them some credit. Cool. And they get to them by bush planes, snow machines and dog sleds to the villages. Mm-hmm. So they do need an extra a little bit of extra time. My second thing is today is Squirrel Appreciation Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> because I work in the energy industry, we were discussing this in our staff meeting today at work, uh, that the American Public Power Association put out a letter, an open letter to squirrels. And you can uh, Google yeah, this. Not to mess the power lines up. Yeah, pretty much. They're responsible for significant numbers of power outages and other damage uh, that happens to utilities uh, each year. And this year, they decided a different tact. They don't want to just ignore the squirrels. They're putting out an open letter for them to say stay, say safe. God, easy for you to say. Stay safe. They're putting out an open letter for them to stay safe by doing things such as obeying warning signs and don't build your nest on electrical equipment. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very and if sweet. they don't follow it, they'll all be removed to that town in Alaska <laughs> where they can become part of the census. Either that nice. or they'll be very toasty. There you go. Carl, is your uh, thing that you, that you don't know a way to drive to Honolulu from here? No. No. <laughs> it's or about the know? Supreme Court, but go ahead. Oh, that was the joke. You said you could drive any state capital. Oh, oh, I was, oh, I was oh, wondering oh. how you can drive to Honolulu. No, 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 no. But I know what you mean. No, I'm yeah. kidding. It's an old George Carlin Two that you joke. Two vote to. Uh, tried to. A man walking from the United States to Europe drowns in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, I have five things. <clears throat> they have nothing to do with politics. Five? I'm try- five. Oh, that's good. They're, they're going to be quick. They're just five little trivial facts I had no idea. Okay. Approximately 40,000 Americans are injured by toilets each year. <laughs> Don't ask me how. Well, you, I didn't go. You, I didn't do you further. flush them 10 to 15 times, there's a high risk of injury. There you go. I didn't do further research <laughs> on the subject. Tag. If a female ferret does not have sex for a year, she will die. We should make that the law for humans. <laughs> Cut down on the planet. <laughs> Ketchup was sold in the 1930s as medicine. Whoa. Fries came right after that. Right. <laughs> almost. The word almost is the longest word in English with all the letters in alphabetical order. I thought that one was really interesting. What now? Almost? Almost is the longest word in the English language with all the letters that's, in alphabetical correct, order. Because facetious is longer and that has all the words. In alphabetical order. It would have to be A. All the vowels. All the words, letters in alphabetical order. A-L-M-O-S-T. I just would hate to be a female ferret on day 364. <laughs> you know, 364, I haven't had sex. <laughs> that is going to be a tough night. It's like, screw or die. <laughs> i got to find the right bar scene. And on my last one, my last of the five, Sean Connery wore a toupee in every one of his James Bond movies. Really? See? Wow. Okay. I'm done. All right. Those are things Those we are, didn't those know. Are great. Yeah. So I have my good news report tonight. This is, uh, this is hot off the presses. There was an article published yesterday um, in Nature Immunology, which is a, it's I a scientific it publication. It comes out once a month. <laughs> I wait for Carl to finish his copy, Anyways, so he gives it to me. <laughs> this article highlights research done by uh, some researchers at Cardiff University, which is in Wales, oh, regarding wow. T-cell therapies for cancer hmm. treatment. And for those who are unfamiliar with what T-cell therapies is, this is a type of treatment where cells are, that are impervious to cancer are removed from the body modified and then put back in the body and when they go in the, they go in the body they can identify cancer cells and then destroy the cancer cells so this is kind of like cutting edge the problem with the t-cell therapies are one each treatment has to be personalized to every patient which is time consuming and expensive second it's only been shown to work on a few types of cancers and three it doesn't work on solid tumors which is what the vast majority of people who have cancers are struggling with but what the researchers at Cardiff University are claiming to have discovered is a new type of T-cell receptor that has the ability to recognize and kill most types of cancers, mm. while at the same time leaving a person's healthy tissue completely intact and not harmed. So they're saying that this T-cell therapy could be effective against the following types of cancers. Tell me if you've heard of any of these. Lung, skin, blood, colon, <laughs> breast, bone, prostate, ovarian, <laughs> kidney, and cervical cancers. Wow. So, wow. The broad effectiveness of this is making people hopeful that for the first time in years, there's a one-size-fits-all cure for cancer that's out oh, wow. there. Whereas, you know, before this this study, the, the common belief was that this, such a cure was impossible and that we would need a separate cure for every type of cancer. And so the Cardiff University uh, researchers are hoping that by the end of 2020, they will start human trials with this new T-cell therapy. That's incredible. And I would add Bless the that the only reason Cardiff undertook this was because of Joe Biden. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he's the cancer czar. You know, he was a Oh, uh, okay. But, but I, there's it. rumors that if Trump gets cancer, they may shut down all research. That's a different oh. T cell. That's uh, a. <laughs> no, no, T cells have something to do with AIDS. It's a T that deserves to be in a cell. AIDS, no, AIDS no, kills HIV T cells. HIV would actually reduce your T cells. Uh, that was one of the right, uh, right. Uh, manifestations of HIV. That's where we first heard about it, Paul. I think that's that's very encouraging. Yeah, it is really encouraging. I like um, that. If someone had this already. Um, let me know, but uh, I read in Sports Illustrated, SI, 
that the Supreme Court has its own basketball court. Has, has someone mentioned this no, before? No, this is great. It's the place where justices and their clerks can get their game on. It's a converted storage room on the top of the floor of the Supreme Court building. And it has a wonderful nickname, the highest court in the land. <laughs> Among the justices who have uh, worked out there, Elena Kagan, Clarence Thomas, and Brett Kavanaugh. But playing basketball while the court is in session is prohibited. The highest court in the land. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed tonight. I hope uh, our listeners have as well. Kim Upham and Paul Block and Dylan Hydes with me and Paul. I want to thank uh, uh, Patrick Zahn, our producer. I want to thank the uh, Steel Door Gallery and the Lane Gallery for giving us the, uh, the, uh, the uh, space to do what we do. I want to thank Brian Sussman for the music. And I want to thank you guys all for letting me have fun tonight. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Paul. That's great. I'll be down in Salem um, on Saturday to, for, to attend Mike Swain's memorial service, the former mayor of Salem who passed away over the holidays. And uh, do you do a little 30 minutes on KMUZ, the community radio down there? I'll push the podcast and uh, other things. And uh, if you're in Salem, tune into KMUZ on Saturday. Uh, listen to us on Spotify, on Google Play, on iTunes. Rate us. Uh, get the word out because we're part of this, hopefully part of this unified wave that's going to sweep um, Trump and other Republicans from office. We'll talk to you next week. For Dylan Hyde's Kim Upham and Paul Block and Patrick Zahn, I'm Carl Wolfson. Thanks for listening to The Wolfpack. <laughs>